All right, come on now. If you didn't grow up and get the original Karate Kid, I'm sorry, but you haven't really lived. And if you haven't seen the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles rock it out to a little vanilla ice, you've got work to do after church today, church. Now, come on, raise your hand. If you were an 80s kid, if you saw the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles dance to vanilla ice, that was by childhood. You need to understand something today. My name is Andy. I'm the lead pastor here at High Point. Thank you, church, for being gracious. We've had a couple of technical challenges this morning, and uh, so is life when you are a church that sets up and breaks down in a school cafeteria. And I'm thankful for our teams that are working so hard. There are people literally working behind curtains up here trying to sort out different mic challenges and uh, different things not working, so thank you. Today, though, we have started a brand new series, and it is called Sweep the Leg. And if you didn't grow up in the 80s, you may not be super familiar with this term, or maybe you've heard it, but understand, it's simply a, a couple, it's a three-word uh, phrase to help you understand what it means to take a cheap shot. Sweep the leg, no mercy. If you heard from Cobra Kai, which, by the way, I'm wearing my Cobra Kai t-shirt today, all right? Sweep the leg, no mercy means I am giving you authority to take a cheap shot. Now, most of you have never competed in a martial arts tournament. But I promise you, whether you've been uh, studying karate or taekwondo or jujitsu, I promise you you've taken a cheap shot and you probably have even given a cheap shot shot. If you're married here this morning, all of you know what it's like to give a cheap shot to your spouse. You know what it's going to take to make them mad. You know how to make your spouse mad, and so you're willing to take the cheap shot or, or you've received one. We all know at work. We all know with the neighbors, we all know with our kids, we all know with our roommates, whether you are single, whether you are married, whether you are divorced, whether you are in middle school, high school, or college, we all have taken cheap shots. Now we're going to take this one step further. Not only have you taken a shot, but you have an enemy who is trying to take cheap shots in your life all the time. Turn in your Bibles, I'm going to hit this really fast, to 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9. We're not going to stay here very long, but, but understand that this is what the Scripture says about sweeping the leg, about, a, about an enemy who loves to take cheap shots in your life. The Scriptures say to be alert and of sober mind. Why? Because you have an enemy, the devil, who is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. I'm going to say that one more time. Be alert and have sober mind. You have an enemy, the devil, prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Hebrews 12 says it like this. 
that we should throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Satan is looking to take a cheap shot in your life. You need to know that. You need to just accept the reality of it, that you have an enemy who hates your guts and would love nothing more than to throw a few cheap punches your way and to get you distracted, to get you stuck, to get you entangled, the scriptures say, in sin. You guys with me this morning? We call this sweeping the leg, the cheap shot. You tracking with me this morning? Everybody awake, everybody alive. Some of you are sitting here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, uh, first of all, all you can think about is going home and watching one of those movies that you saw a clip from. But stay locked in this morning because I really think this series is going to help us do the very thing that Paul is going to exhort Timothy to do in just a few moments, the very thing that Peter encourages us to do in the scriptures, and that is to resist, to stand firm, and to fight the enemy because church all these struggles that you and I have, your challenges that you're facing, the relational challenges that you have in front of you, many of those things are not just a simple challenge that's in front of you. There's an enemy who's trying to take these situations and throw a cheap shot your way. Let's pray, and then we're going to turn to the book of Timothy. Father, we thank you this morning and we ask that you would meet us here today as we continue worshiping, as we continue to read from the word, as we try to grow. God, even here in a cafeteria, in a public school, we thank you for the ability to grow, to encounter you, and to become more like you. Would you help us this morning? God, would you really help us this morning? God, we're going through stuff. Every single person in this room is going through something. How would you help us? It's in your son's name we pray, amen. Max Licato says it like this, and I quote, We know Satan will attack weak spots. We know he'll attack weak spots first. Forty days of fasting left Jesus famished, so Satan began with the topic of bread. Jesus' stomach was empty, so to the stomach Satan turned. Where are you empty? Are you hungry for attention? Craving success? Longing for intimacy? Be aware of your weaknesses. Bring them to God before Satan brings them to you. Satan will tell you to turn stones into bread. In other words, to meet your own needs and take matters into your own hands. This is how Satan throws cheap shots your way and my way. And as we look in the, the scriptures, as we look in the, the book of Timothy, Paul is writing to a young church in the city of Ephesus. And he's writing to a young man and a young leader. His name is Timothy. And he's giving him instructions on how to live his life, how to lead. And he's giving him instructions to literally impart to this young church. And this is what he has to say. 
1 Timothy chapter 1, 3 through 4. He says, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus, so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. Now, I realize as we look at that, I can feel a little bit disconnected from what we're talking about. But this young church is experiencing some moments where the enemy is trying to sweep the leg out, to show no mercy. There are four things that this young church at Ephesus is beginning to face. And if you're a note taker, if you're taking notes in an app on your phone or with a pen, I want to encourage you to write these down. Four things that the church is facing. Number one, false teaching. I know it's hard to believe that someone would teach something that's untrue. But it's happening here in Ephesus. And the young church doesn't know what's true. And so they're trying to deal with false teaching. It's a cheap shot. The enemy loves to sow dumb ideas. Insane ways of living, crazy ways to build your life into culture and into a church. Secondly, ungodly and immature leadership. I know there's no place in culture right now where we could look and find immature or ungodly leadership, but, but lo and behold, that's what they're dealing with. It's what they're facing, not only in culture, but in the local church ungodly and immature leadership thirdly they don't know how to apply the gospel to real life situations surely that doesn't apply to us and then fourthly the church in Ephesus is dealing with an obsession with money so let's recap we have false teaching ungodly and immature leadership an inability to apply the gospel to real-life situations, and an over-obsession with money. Does this in any way sound like anything we could possibly relate to? Surely in 2019, we're not dealing with the same issues that they dealt with in Scripture. Oh, wait. Yes, we are. This could literally be the church in Kennesaw, Georgia, the church in Atlanta, Georgia, the church in Orlando, Florida, the church in St. Louis, Missouri, Go Cardinals today. I had to throw that in there. <laughs> okay, all right, we're doing this. We're doing this. I might have provoked it. These are the four things that they're dealing with. And church, I, over the next four weeks, this is what we're going to begin to talk about. We're going to hit all four of these things. And today we're going to talk a little bit about false teaching. And I want you to hear this because the church in Ephesus is dealing with uh, teaching that is, that is embracing this ideology that eating meat is wrong. You'll never hear me teach that. It's not something that will ever come out of my mouth. So you don't have to worry about that. They embraced teaching that marriage, or teaching was being embraced that, that marriage was wrong and didn't honor God anymore. And therefore unneeded, it was unnecessary. So there was a deconstruction of the family unit. 
But the most troubling and heretical doctrine that is being taught in this moment in Ephesus is that the resurrection for believers has already taken place. And therefore, this is as good as it gets. When you die, you die. This is life. This is the best life is going to get. The hope of the resurrection has already been fulfilled. It's already come and it's already gone. Now, when we look at false doctrines and false teachings and we say to ourselves, well, what's the big deal? We'll understand the context. If the hope of the gospel has already been fully realized, and when you die, that's it. Why live your life in any way that would be necessary to bring God glory? Why would you in any capacity demonstrate restraint? Why would you in any way demonstrate a life where you're saying no to ungodliness if the resurrection has already taken place and this is just life as we know it and when you die, you die. All hope is gone and the expectation of what is to come is now gone. And you can see why believing this lie would shape how you live and would change how you live for God. You guys with me this morning? That's what we call false teaching. Timothy is, he writes, or Paul writes in chapter 1, My son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you. So that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. What you believe shapes how you live. What you believe shapes how you live. What you believe shapes how you live. Do you know that? That's why when people talk about stinking thinking, right? If you have stinking thinking, you'll end up have stinking living, right? Because what's in here eventually is going to come out. Now, walk with me here. What are some of the lies that we believe? What do you think they are? Because it may not be this, this particular set of lies, but we as a church or we as a culture, we as a Christian culture have embraced some things at times. Maybe you're sitting here and have embraced some things that are lies. And if you build your life on them, you will eventually experience shipwreck. Number one, God's love for me is determined by my behavior. We live this way all the time that somehow God withholds love and offers judgment based on how good we are or how bad we are. It's not true. And what this does is it perpetuates a life of living in shame and never bringing how you're really doing to the table. And so this young church or young churches or the American church stays immature. Because we're never able to deal with what we're really dealing with. God doesn't expect that much from me. Is that really true? 
In a world where we talk about love is love is love is love. And that's true. If you discount the expectation that God still has that you and I would offer our lives to him as a living sacrifice, then we would understand that while love has no strings attached, what it produces inside of you is deep conviction for how you live and carry yourself. But we've bought into this lie of cheap grace. Number three, God doesn't care about my sex life. Uh-oh. All you have to look to the left, look to the right, look up, look down. We love to follow Jesus, but we hold out one particular area time and time and time again. And that's this idea of purity. God can have everything, but he can't really have that. Church isn't necessary. Lie number four. It's more optional. It's an add-on. I work so much, and I don't get much time with my family. Therefore, church, you know, is it really that big of a deal for me, for me and my spouse, for me and my spouse and my kids? For You know, it's difficult. My kids are tired. My kids don't like this or that, or, you know, they're scared of other children <laughs> or HP kids or whatever it might be. Scared might be too strong a word. <laughs> Nervous. I get it. I get it. But we allow so many things to compete with what the scriptures describes as the bride of Christ. If the bride never spends time with the bridegroom, then can we really say that this is a healthy marriage? I don't think so. Or when we say that we love Jesus, but we don't like the church, that's effectively saying, I like Jesus, but I don't like his wife. I got bad news for you. If you're like, I love Andy, but I don't like Amy. We have problems. Okay? We have issues here. Okay? <laughs> she will fight you. You have more problems with her than me. I'm just let her. She, she'll do all her own fighting. All Christians need to do is act nice and be good. Produces a wimpy, nominal faith. Just be nice. To disagree with someone means you hate someone. That is one of the greatest lies that we are facing right now. To say no, to offer a different idea, to disagree, somehow means that that's equated to hatred. That is not true. The Bible isn't relevant. Hell isn't real. Jesus isn't the only way to experience eternal life. Now, hear me. The Bible makes very bold statements about Jesus, as do every other religion about the very means of experiencing eternity and eternal life. But if one says it's a square and the other says it's a circle... They aren't the same thing. Someone has to be right and someone has to be wrong. Do you understand what I'm saying here? If the very religions themselves are saying this is the only way, you cannot experience this apart from this. You may, you may pray and you may knock on the door and you may spend some time exploring what other religions say. But if we as a culture just say, 
well, everything is fine. You do what you want to do. We are actually walking contrary to what the very religions we espouse are teaching. As people who follow the Bible, we teach that Jesus is God's glory revealed. And that if you want relationship with him, it's through Jesus and Jesus alone. And that is a hard response for a culture that feels like disagreeing equates to hatred. But we still have not come to the biggest lie that has infiltrated the church. And it's one that, it's one that I have believed at times. It's one that has produced resentment inside of me, bitterness inside of me, anger inside of me, jealousy and envy. Are you ready, church? Drum roll, please. One of the greatest lies Satan tells us is that his primary concern is our happiness. One of the greatest lies Satan tells is that God's primary concern is your happiness. Now, this feels like bad news, and it's actually not. It's tremendously good news. But understand that you being happy, it actually isn't mentioned anywhere in the Bible. And that's hard for us at times. Because we're told over and over and over again that we should be happy, and if you participated, you get a trophy. Everyone who just kind of shows up gets something, and we want every single person to be happy. And if they're not happy, and you're entitled to being happy, imagine how you feel when you are therefore not happy. You become angry. You become resentful. You become the person who points their finger at God and says, you owe me. I'm entitled to this. There is an expectation, God, that I would be happy, happy as a clam, as a matter of fact, and I don't feel that way. Therefore, something is universally and cosmically wrong. But is that actually true? I don't think so. In fact, I know so. That isn't what the Bible teaches us. And if we build our lives on this idea that we, the highest aim that God has for you and for me is that we would be happy. Imagine the circumstantial roller coaster that you and I would live our lives on and build our lives on day in, day in, week out, week out. And it produces what? Anxiety. And it produces what? Depression. And it produces entitlement and, and bitterness and anger and all these things because we aren't getting what we deserve. I've mentioned this before. I have four kids, and I've literally forgotten how many kids I've had before while I'm preaching, so I literally have to think through that. Four kids. I have four children. And it's amazing in a culture that has embraced the lie that happiness is the highest aim, and that is the highest aim that God has for you as well. The minute they have something or the minute they don't have something that someone else has, it is amazing how much anger and resentment and envy rises up when a brother 
or a sister had one more minute on the iPad than me? This is unfair. How dare you, mom and dad? Those have literally been words in our house. And then the, the, the dad finger snap comes out. Get over here. Come here right now. We're going to have a conversation about what's fair and what's not fair. And what the purpose of this home is. We do not have you. We do not have this home that the world would orbit around you simply to make you happy. There is a purpose that we are establishing in your life. And your life and my life is to reveal God's glory. If we want to understand what God's purpose is and the highest aim at which God is, is moving in the earth and trying to bring about things upon this planet and in your life, it's not that you would reveal happiness, it's that you would reveal His glory. And that means when you are suffering, that you can suffer well because in your suffering, you reveal God's glory. How could this person possibly be this patient? How could this person possibly be this calm? How could they be this anchor to something because of the supernatural transformation of Jesus Christ that work inside of them and it reveals God's glory. It reveals his power. It reveals his goodness. It reveals his mercy. And so when something unbelievably difficult happens, if your aim is happiness, well, what do you do? I'm not happy, and now I'm mad. But if God's glory is what's on the line, now I can take a step back. I can get in God's presence. My spirit can be calmed within me. I can trust in the midst of the storm. I can trust in the midst of great difficulty because I know that his glory is being revealed. You guys with me today? Just making sure. Numbers 14 says that all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. Isaiah 49.3 says, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will show my glory. John 1.14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. God's aim on this earth is to reveal his glory. That's what he's after. And when we make it something else, Satan uses it to throw cheap shots because he wants you to build your life on something that isn't true. And one of those cheap shots is false doctrine, false teaching, lies that we might embrace. And the best antidote to a lie is the truth. Here's the truth, church. You're going to go through some tough times. And I don't like that. I don't like that for you. Some of you are in a tough time literally right now. 
some of you have sat here and you've thought about what life would be like if you didn't live here anymore. And I don't mean live here as in the, 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 the zip code. I mean you've thought about taking your own life because it doesn't matter. Some of you have been in such a difficult place in your marriage. Some of you have been going through it in a divorce. Some of you are wondering when you will finally find a job that will be satisfying and fulfilling or something that will actually pay enough for you to pay the bills and to take a breath. Some of you are reeling with things with your kids. Some of you long to be married, be in a relationship. And you haven't seen these things realized. What I'm not saying this morning is that God doesn't care about you. Or that God doesn't care about how, you know, the pain that you're feeling in your heart. But the reality of God's aim and his pursuits in this earth are his glory being revealed. Which is why when we walk into his throne room, figuratively speaking, and we act entitled as if God owes us something, last time I checked, that's not good. God has purpose for you. He has grace for you. His grace is all sufficient for you. If anyone remembers the story in the Bible, there's a moment where the Ark of the Covenant is being carried and they begin to stumble, and the Ark of the Covenant is falling over, and someone reaches out, his name is Uzzah, and he goes to touch the, the Ark of the Covenant, and as he touches it, he is struck down immediately dead. I don't like reading this story in the Bible because it feels like the God that we serve doesn't care about us. Here's a guy that was trying to help. There's another story in the Bible where in Ananias and Sapphira, they, they sell a field. And they bring a portion of the proceeds to the church and they give it. And they hold a little bit back and they act a little bit like they, you know, they're giving all that they made from it, but they didn't really. They're, they're kind of faking the walk a little bit. And Ananias falls down dead. And his wife comes in three hours later, and guess what? She falls down dead. And we think to ourselves, what kind of God do we serve who pours himself out in situations like this? This is difficult for me. But when we understand something about the very nature of God, that his glory, Paul says that, that God is clothed in unapproachable light. At the beginning of his letters and at the end of his letters, oftentimes it says, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. It was God's glory that showed up in a pillar of fire and a cloud of smoke. It was God's glory that showed up and split the Red Sea. It was God's glory that, that showed up and literally set an entire nation free from slavery in Egypt. It was God's glory that showed up and moved as they dedicated the temple. And it brought people to tears. It brought people to their knees. It caused people to literally lay prostrate upon the ground. 
It was God's glory that showed up when the Holy Spirit entered a room and literally filled people for the first time and began to change them. And the scriptures say that people began to speak in other tongues. People witnessed the miracle nature of God. But we have taken God and we've put him in a little cage that we might be able to kind of approach it and pet him when we want to and roll him out from behind the curtain to kind of sprinkle a little fairy dust to make us happy and enjoy life all the time. But when this is the God that we serve, we, we forget that his glory is his glory. And that he lives in un approachable light and that when we walk in his presence and into his presence it's not with entitlement it's not with you owe me and i expect this it's with trembling before the holy one the one whose glory has been revealed oh god i am a sinner and i deserve absolutely utterly nothing from you i deserve nothing god I know who I am, and I know the wretched nature of my sin. I know who I truly am, that I am even invited into your presence is beyond my wildest imagination. I don't deserve it. I can't do it upon my own. But you sent your son Jesus, your glory revealed to die for me and invite me into relationship with you, not because you need me. You are completely all-sufficient upon your own. You invite me into relationship not because you need me, but because you want me. Because you want me, God. But when we build our lives upon this idea that you and I are supposed to be happy all the time, it produces entitlement. And entitlement before God's presence has produced one thing in the scriptures. And that is obliteration. Produces pride. And the scriptures remind us that pride comes before the fall. But to be humbled. To be hungry for more of God. To desire to live my life as a living sacrifice before him. Paul writes to Timothy, and this is what he says in response to all of this. What do we do when we have found ourselves either buying into the lie or we find ourselves uh, being taught something? Everyone is, the internet has made everyone an expert. Did you know that, by the way? The internet has made everyone an expert. You're an expert on something. You have an opinion on something. And you can deem yourself as the expert. And so the unique nature of teaching that happens now isn't, it's not confined to four walls. All you have to do is get on Instagram or Facebook or TikTok or Snapchat or whatever it is that you're on. And someone is an expert on something. But what do you do about it? It starts right here. 
And it begins, we're going to pick it up next week, but it starts in 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 through 8. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. For kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time, and for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. And I'm a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. Make no mistake about it, if you're a woman sitting here today, do not consider yourself missed by this passage on being called to pray. But what Paul is making specific mention of here are male teachers that are teaching improperly. But the answer for unfaithful male teaching isn't to get rid of male teaching. It's that strong men would rise up in their midst. And so to begin this process of encountering Jesus, encountering that which is true, it's not that we would cook up an idea, it's that we would come into contact and relationship and face-to-face moments with He who is truth. And that's Jesus. And my, my, my proposal to you this morning sounds so simple. If you grew up going to church, it's something you've heard a thousand times. Whether you grew up Episcopalian, Methodist, Lutheran, maybe you've never been to church before a day in your life and you're here today. What Paul is teaching young people everywhere, teenagers, Timothy, young men, old men, young women, old women, is that what you need to do before we get into any of the other lies and any of the other cheap shots is you've got to become a people who pray. You've got to become a people who will get on your knees and ask God to move. You need to pray for your city. You need to pray for people who are in positions of authority. You need to pray for your pastor. You need to pray for those who are teaching. You need to pray for one another. You need to lift up holy hands and pray because that is the answer for encountering the one true God and the one true person who is truth. we got to pray. We've got to pray. To quote MC Hammer, you've got to pray just to make it today. That's right, full circle. Come on with that. Come on, somebody. Now, hear me, church. I'm not inviting you in this moment to come down and have a cheerful moment in the front of the steps. That's not what I'm after today. And I don't believe that's what what Paul was after when he was writing to Timothy. But he is trying to stir something up 
Because in our world that is fast-paced, one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, we can act and think and talk like we have this deep relationship with Jesus, but if you are not spending any time praying, do not be fooled. You are building your life on something that's not quite true. And you need to have, we need to have, our church and our city needs to have a transformative encounter with the way, the truth, and the life. His name is Jesus. And that's why at 6.30 a.m. on Wednesdays, every single week, we get together at our church office and we pray. And if you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, well, what do I do here? Well, you can get in your car at about 6 a.m. and you can join us for prayer. That's a really great first step in growing in prayer. It requires sacrifice, isn't it? But when we understand that it's about God's glory being revealed, not my convenience, when it's about God's glory, not just my happiness, I'm willing to get up and I'm willing to do some things because I'm hungry for God's glory to be revealed. James 5, as I close says it like this. Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it didn't rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. Prayed it a hundred times, probably more. You know what you need more than happiness is God's power. You know what you need more than happiness is God's presence. And the way we experience that is through prayer. Elijah was a man just like you and me, and he prayed to the God of heaven and earth. And God heard his prayers and revealed his glory. What do you need? What do you need to build your life on? Jesus Christ, the one true king. How do you have relationship with him? Yes, by asking him into your heart. Yes, by repenting. But ongoing deep relationship happens when you pray. When you pray. You open your mouth. And you begin to thank him. If you don't know what to pray, start there. We're going to pick things up next week, but your action step today is twofold. Start by just thanking him for everything that he has done in your life. And secondly, get in your car. And get to the church office. It's right down the street. And join us at 6.30 a.m. as we seek God's presence and his power to be revealed in our city our church, in your life. We pray for you. We're praying for you. Amen. Father, we thank you. We love you and worship you. We exalt your name this morning above every other name. God, and we are reminded, we are reminded, and we are reminded, Lord, that it's so easy to begin building our lives on things that either don't matter or that are not true. 
And Father, would you help us today to encounter the one true God, the God who revealed his glory through Jesus. Lord, that is what we need. That is what we crave. That is what we are after today. And Lord, we're asking that you would help us produce a conviction inside of us to pray even just five minutes a day to stop and to thank you to just say thank you to pray for our neighbor to pray for a friend to pray for our family God this is what we are hungry for would you move in our church In our church newsletter, it goes out. You're going to see this. You're going to see a text reminder. If you texted HP info to 97,000, we're going to remind you about prayer. You're going to see it on social. You're going to see it in the church newsletter. And even if you can't make it because of work, you know what? Turn the radio off for five minutes. Pray in your car. Pull into the parking lot before you walk into the office and pray in the parking lot for a few minutes. Pray in your driveway for a few minutes. Pray on your couch for a few minutes and seek God. I promise you, if you will spend just five minutes, start there, you will reap the benefit of encountering the one true God, Jesus Christ. And if you don't know what to be thankful for, be thankful that it's not a billion degrees outside today. Amen. Everyone stand to your feet. I'll see you next Sunday. If this is the church that you feel God is adding you to, the community, the tribe, the people, text HP Info to 97000, get the information on our church membership class, and we will see you next Sunday. Have a great week.